Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. If I were God, I would change all the plans, right? Everything I think is unfair. I could take care of that. Could make it fair. Hey, if anyone bothered me, I'd have the power to deal with them, right? Haven't you ever thought that? Yeah, you could just deal with somebody. Oh, that guy that stole my car. Yeah. Give him four flats and set off all the airbags or something, right? You know, just take care of them instantaneously if I were God. Well, the good news is for everyone here, I'm not God. God is not like me. He's not like any of us. His thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways are not our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, are God's ways higher than our ways? As high as the heavens are above the earth, are God's thoughts above our thoughts? And that's his word in Isaiah chapter 55. And thankfully, thankfully, we're not God. We'd botch it all up. We'd botch up everything. Because it's the human nature that we want the healing and the saving and the giving, but we have to get it into us. We need the healer more than the healing, and we need the giver more than the giving. We need the Savior more than the saving. Thankfully, God is on that. He can handle that. I would totally mess it up. And he's not like us. We think he is, but he's not like us. But he made us a little bit like him. His word says he created us in his image and in his likeness. So he made us a little like him. And at the first, in the beginning, it was all pretty good. God said it was good. The first couple, Adam and Eve, they were in relationship with God. God came down into their garden in the cool of the day. But something happened. They were separated from God. Their relationship was changed. It was marred. They were separated from God because they sinned. Pride and disobedience It got in the way. It severed their fellowship with God. And since that time, since then, God has been revealing himself to his creation. He has been uh, progressively revealing through the Bible from the first grace revealed in the Garden of Eden where God, he made clothes for the man and the woman who had suddenly realized they were naked. God showed them grace. He made them clothes. And his grace revealed, continued. We've been reading the Bible together as a church and began in the early part of the year in January, moving through the first books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. God's grace revealed, continued. He chose a man named Abraham. He created a nation. That nation fell into bondage, but God's grace saved those people. 
He didn't forget about them. He heard their cry. He took those people from bondage. Then he fed them and he clothed them miraculously. For 40 years, they ate food from God. Their clothes didn't wear out. He gave them a land. He gave them a law to live by, a way to deal with this thing called sin through offerings and sacrifices. God called this his covenant. But God in his covenant rejected mankind over and over, said, no, 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 no. My way. In essence, they're saying, who is like God? I am. I can handle this. I can get along fine without you. And ultimately, God had to rescind that covenant and make it obsolete. And he made a new covenant. And that new covenant is Jesus. Jesus was the final. He was the complete offering. He was the last sacrifice for sin. And what better grace is there than that? We can enjoy that. We can receive Jesus, receive the new covenant. Restoration with God can be accomplished. It's an amazing thing. And that restoration, it it culminates in life after death. It begins here, but it continues for eternity. We talked last week about resurrection. This is ongoing, God's grace. We're in fellowship for eternity. But until then, as long as we have to live in this material world and walk this earth, God beckons us and he wants us and he desires for us to be more like him. Eh, We're never going to make it to be him, but he wants us to be more like him, to be more God-like, to be more Christ-like. And that brings me right back to the question, who is like God? And we know the answer. Nobody, nobody, nobody's exactly like God. That's impossible. Though his ways and his thoughts are so high, they're, they're, they're as high as the heavens above us. We can't bridge the gap too far, but God would have us be more like him. There was an Old Testament prophet, and this, this seemed to be his theme through his messages. Be more like God. It comes through in his messages. His name was Micah. His book was part of our reading plan last week, if you've been reading along with us. And if you haven't, just grab a bulletin. We keep the schedule right on there. You can pick it up and be right with us. So we read Micah last week, just seven chapters. I want to tell you a little bit about this man. Who was he, this prophet? Just a little sketch. He was from a town that was about 20 miles southwest of Jerusalem called Morasheth. He ministered in the 8th century BC. He was likely contemporary with the great prophet Isaiah. And he was ministering when the nation of Israel and Judah, they were deep in sin, rejected God, deteriorating, declining spiritually, falling into idolatry. His messages were directed to both the south which was Israel in the north, which was Judah, but primarily to Judah in the north or in the south where Jerusalem was the the capital. Micah, 
he denounced the same things that we've heard about the past couple of weeks from the prophet Amos and the prophet Hosea. The things that they condemned, he was condemning. The rich were robbing the poor. The people had become idolaters. The rulers and the judges were corrupt. The religious leaders, they were corrupt. What had, what had happened to religious life? It was all form. It was all ritual. It was all ceremony. There was nothing spiritually of substance. There was no matter of the heart. It was all show. And Micah, like the other prophets, brought some hard messages of divine judgment. But with him, it was judgment, mercy. You'll read judgment, mercy, judgment, mercy, doom, followed by hope. He, he didn't leave the hope out of it. He didn't leave the mercy out of it when he brought these messages of God coming. For example, in uh, Micah chapter 2, we read, I'm planning disaster against this people from which they cannot save themselves. It's pretty hard words. You're not going to be able to walk proudly. A time of calamity is coming. But in that same chapter, Micah writes, I will surely gather you, O Jacob. I surely will bring you together, remnant of Israel. Like sheep in a pen, like a flock into its pasture. He kept the hope alive. And in his short little book, he had three main messages. And again, they went judgment, mercy, judgment, mercy, judgment, mercy. That's the, the key here for this prophet is revealing this, this mercy of God. And in these messages, then how is it that Micah might be asking, are you like God? And all this harsh judgment, will you be more like God? How is that question coming through? Well, he's kind of got this style, his language. It becomes apparent in, in the way that he's doing things. See, Micah used a lot of satire, lots of plays on words. He was a bit of a punster. And God used all kinds of people and all kinds of styles. He was trying to get the people's attention. So here comes this satirist. And there's a bit of a play on words, even in his name. His name is Micah. And what does that mean? One who is like God. Be like God. It's the prophet's namesake. And it's sort of an overarching play on words throughout all of this severe judgment that he's bringing. He attempts to grab the people's attention just to, to, to highlight how far they've strayed away from God, how severe they have rejected God. Be, he, by caricaturing them, he employs puns, satire, irony. And, and I'll give you some examples. In the first chapter of his book, he mentions 10 cities. And he uses a play on words or a pun with each one of them. We miss it when it's translated from Hebrew to English. But the people certainly would have got it. And I'll give you a few samples. Gath. He mentions this town called Gath. Now, Gath was a, a town where the Philistines, in the time of King David's reign, uh, held that town. 
And there were times when they had battles with Israel where they were victorious and they would joyfully proclaim the defeat of Israel and the misfortunes of Israel. They would tell it to all the people and Gath proverbially became known as the town where they would tell how hard it was in Israel. It was tell town. And Micah says, tell it not in Gath, tell it not in tell town. Plays a little, gives me a little pun to think about. Tell not all the destruction that's coming. And he says of this city called Beth Ophrah. And what does Beth Ophrah mean? It means house of dust. And Micah says, Oh, Beth Ophrah, house of dust, roll in the dust. You're going to be rolling in the dust. There's a town named Shafur. That means beautiful or pretty. And what does he say about that town? Yeah, you think you're so gorgeous? You're going to be stripped naked for all to see. Meroth. Meroth means bitterness. So bitter town. What does he tell to bitter town? You'll writhe in bitter pain. Plays on words. He goes on and on. But as I said in his oracles of judgment, he always brings these messages of mercy because ultimately he wants the people to turn back to God. He wants them to even be more like God. And what he says we can apply to our life today These aren't some old ancient words that we can just put on our shelves to collect dust. We can pick up from what he's saying and apply it to our life today. I want to look where Micah gets down to some, really, the brass tacks. And it's in Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. I want to read those to you. Again, understand, this, this man comes with some satire, sometimes sarcasm. And he writes this, verse 6 in chapter 6, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Now, before I read verse 8, what's Micah doing here? He's, he's becoming somewhat sarcastic. How do you go before God? How do you go before the Almighty, the exalted one, with burnt offerings? How about a thousand rams? How about thousands of rams? Do you bring your oil? How many bottles of oil do you bring? Rivers of oil? Will the Lord be pleased with this? And then, how about human sacrifice? Your firstborn, bring your child. Will the Lord be pleased? None of it. None of it. This is not what God Wants. Your religion is hollow. All your motions, all your ritual, all the formality, no substance. You could bring a river of oil. God's not going to have it. Verse 8. 
He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. Here's the reminder to the people. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What has Micah been driving at through these messages? Justice, mercy. Now what does he say? What does God require of you? Justice, mercy. To love mercy. Micah, whose name means one like God, is saying, be like him. Emulate God. Be more like the Almighty. And though Micah is saying act, he's saying do this and do something, he's not presenting a religion of works. He is not presenting another ceremony, not another ritual to go to. Our acceptance by God is not going to be through works, no works, lest any man should boast. That's what God's not interested in that. Micah's message recognizes the possibility of doing justly and loving mercy, but there's something that followed. Walking humbly with your God. Now, if there's anyone that believes you can do some works to earn merit or favor with God, you're not walking humbly with your God. And that was the part of the problem here in Israel at the time. It was part of the problem of the worship in Jerusalem. Hey, you can bring your calves, Micah said. Follow all the rituals. You can multiply them exponentially. Thousands upon thousands, rivers of oil. You might be following what God has asked you to do, but it's empty. It is hollow. It's all show you're not walking humbly with your God. We heard at the open this morning from Brother Rob. He said, Christianity's not a ride on a train. We just, we just don't hop on and cruise along, right? No, there's a walk involved. Something that we decide every day. Every morning, we're going to walk with Jesus. And recall the words of Jesus in Matthew 23, 23. They echo what we hear in Micah about walking humbly with God. Because what does that imply? It implies submission, complete trust, faithfulness, sincere obedience, not obligatory compliance. If that's what it's all about, we're not walking humbly with God. Jesus said to the hypocrites of his day in Matthew 23, 23, and we read that just Friday. Jesus said, woe to you. There's some words of judgment by Jesus. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jesus sounds very much like Micah, doesn't he? Follow what God requires. 
but with the right attitude, with the right spirit. Not begrudging compliance, not going through the motions, not empty ritual and ceremony, humility. Micah means one like God. Jesus is God. Jesus spoke those words. Jesus exemplified what he taught. Jesus was a law keeper. Jesus fulfilled the law with perfection, but he did it with an attitude and with a spirit that was unknown to the hypocritical Pharisees. Jesus was saying to them too, be more like God, be more like me. But you might be thinking, I'm hearing you, okay. I can receive that. The first thing Micah said was, act justly. Let's talk about that then. The first thing Jesus said was, you've neglected justice. Let's talk about this justice. Micah talked about it. Jesus talked about it. Wasn't it so harsh? Wasn't God out to just kill everybody and wipe them out? I mean, the prophet of God talked about towns rolling in the dust, being stripped naked and sent off in shame. He talked about them writhing in pain. Even at the end of Matthew 23, Jesus said to Jerusalem, your house is left desolate. Are we to act justly like that? Is that what Jesus is saying? Is that what Micah is saying? Act justly. Let's just go get people. Is that the justice of God that we are to emulate? Well, Micah, the one like God, he went on. In the closing chapter of his book, chapter 7, last verses, he writes this, verse 18 and 19. Who is a God like you? who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of, its, of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Now Micah posed a rhetorical question to God, didn't he? Hey, God, who is like you? It's another sort of play on words. It's a play on his name. Just kind of turns it around. His name is a statement, one like God. He makes it into a question. Who is one like God? Who is the one who pardons sin? You pardon sin, God. You forgive transgressions. You do not stay angry forever. Now there's the justice of God. There's a spirit of, a, spirit of pardon, spirit of forgiveness. It's the cooling of anger. And God offered that to everybody. See, this was the offer the prophet was making. It's the offer all the prophets of the Old Testament made. Repent, turn back to God. He's gracious. He's merciful. Does that mean everyone accepts it? Nope. No. Only a remnant is what the prophet said. Only some accept. He said 
Who's like you, God, who pardons sin, forgives the transgressions of the remnant? Not everyone accepts what God has to offer. But the offer, this graciousness, this justice of God is open to all. God delights then to show mercy. And he will have compassion. This is the God to emulate. He'll tread our sins underfoot. He'll put our sin into the depth of the ocean. That's like your sin never happened. How can that be? How can that be? God put together this plan of all these, uh, all these sacrifices The prophet was mocking the people because they weren't coming with the right spirit with their sacrifices, and their sacrifices had to be repeated. How is it that our sins could be thrown away forever? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus, the new covenant. Jesus is how sins can be gone. He said to Jerusalem, yes, you'll be left desolate. But that was for those who rejected him. For those who received Jesus, it's altogether different. It's altogether wonderful. He's the one who made it possible for sin to be so far gone. It's as if it's at the the, the bottom of the deepest sea. Because he is the only one who satisfied the divine requirement of God, which required a blood sacrifice for sin. He offered his life on the cross and mercy falls. Mercy falls on us who receive what Jesus did instead of receiving desolation. And we're relieved. We're relieved. We don't have to offer all those sacrifices not a thousand rams, not, not thousands and thousands, not a bottle of oil, not a river of oil. No deeds, no works. No, it's receiving what Jesus did for us, sacrificially receiving it by renouncing sin, renouncing the formal way of life and turning to Jesus, the merciful one, and then emulating him, emulating that justice, emulating that mercy, and walking humbly with him, living that spirit, living that spirit of pardon and forgiveness, relinquishing anger, not repaying evil with evil, loving mercy, and being uh, faithful. It's becoming Micah's. We're all to be Micah. One like God. I began this morning with this question, who is like God? And the question, are you like God? That's something to think about. I know he's not like us, and I know we'll never be equal with him, but he made us a little like him, and he wants us to be more like him. Are you like God? Are you a Micah this morning? If you think about it, 
Maybe saying, well, no, I can't be because I haven't dealt with that, that sin. Well, there's that wall and it's interfered. Sin that breeds hate, it breeds contempt, selfishness, an independent streak. I'm self-reliant. I'm self-sufficient. I'll be self-governing. I don't need God. And that breeds exactly what Micah saw in his day. And we see it today. We see it today. The wealthy robbing the poor. Sin. It's all selfishness, sin. People idolizing things and stuff. Yeah, they made gods out of silver, gold, and iron, and wood back in Micah's day. We have gods we've made. Yeah, they might have wheels. They might have doors. We have all kinds of gods, things we idolize. There's corrupt rulers and judges. It's the same. Religious life. You going through the motions? Form, duty, no spiritual substance, no heart of the matter. That's a life that is absent justice and forgiveness. It's absent mercy. It's absent grace. Life is so much better. It's so much better when you receive Jesus and what he did on the cross for you. He did it for everyone. It's open to all. All you have to do is submit to Jesus and walk humbly with him as Lord and God. Say, I'm putting that sin behind me. I'll submit to you. I'll walk humbly with you. But you got to deal with that thing called sin. You want it removed? You want it tossed into the sea? Revealing a better way, true justice, true mercy. He can become like a Micah. Be one like God, or at least more like him. A step closer. I think deep down, I think deep down in the human heart, we crave it. We crave forgiveness. And we want mercy and, and grace. But sometimes we're a little too proud, a little too stubborn, a little too conceited to admit we actually need it. Now Jesus gave his life to offer it, to offer this forgiveness. And if there's anyone in this in this building this morning who hasn't received that forgiveness, do you want it? Do you want to be forgiven? You can receive it this morning. And I invite you to. It doesn't matter what you've done. What did the prophet say? And what still continues? God delights in mercy. I don't know if you've ever been in a courtroom where a judge has granted mercy. I've seen it a couple of times. People are expecting jail time, prison time, and the judge says something completely different. I was there once where, yeah, person was expecting handcuffs and getting taken away. I walked out the door with that person. Mercy, mercy. Judge didn't throw the book. Now nah, the judge kind of set the book aside for a minute. Said, hey, let's wipe the slate clean. See, Jesus would do that for you. 
because he delights in mercy and he's ready to forgive. You don't think he can forgive you? Oh, you know, I don't know. Terrible things, huh? I had an abortion. How could God forgive me? I've, I've, been, I've been stealing from, from my business. God can't forgive me. I've been cheating on my spouse or I walked away from my family. God can't forgive that. Uh, you know what? God's bigger than all of that. He's higher. His, his thoughts are higher. His ways are higher. You know what? He can deal with it. He can. He's seen all of this. What you think you've done can't be forgiven by God. He'll relieve your shame. He will forgive you. He already knows. And he just wants you to, to tell it to him. Say, God, you know, I've done that. I, I do want to receive that and, and do my best to walk humbly with you and submit to you. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. And I want to receive what Jesus did to accomplish it. As we close this morning, I invite any of you who maybe you need that to, to just pray with me. Let's, let's stand as we close our service. And, and I also want to say, as Christians, as Christians, this question, who is like God, now that applies to us. And sometimes we stray. Sometimes we're pulled. Sometimes we need to talk to God again about his mercy and his forgiveness. And we're ashamed because we, shouldn't, we know we should be doing better because we're Christians. And we're supposed to be like God and more Christ-like. But we've slipped, we've done something, we want to hide it. Don't hide it. Confess it to God. Confe open up to him. He loves. He delights in mercy. Ah, maybe you've never, ever come to him before, but I know many in this room have. And we deal with life every day. Things confront us. And sometimes we're more like the enemy than we are a Micah one like God. And if that's something you're dealing with today too, you turn it over to him. You talk to God. He will forgive you. He is a faithful God. He wants us. And he wants us to be more like him. Let's pray. And I want, as I'm praying, if there's anyone, if you, you really feel you, you just want a, a greater meeting with God this morning, we have these altars open and you're invited to come down to them. And I'm not going to make you, I'm not going to put a hard press on you this morning. That's between you and God. You want to go through motions. You want to go through form without substance. 
that's between you and God. But if you want a meeting with Almighty God this morning and you, don't, you, wanna, you wanna take some time with him, this is wide open to you. And there's people here that would pray with you and invite the mercy that God delights in to be with you, you know, to warm you and to carry you out of here different than when you walked in. So let's pray. Let's pray. And if that's you, you're welcome. And if you want to stay at your seat and that's you, that's fine. God, we love you, Lord. And I know some of us who have, who maybe there's someone in this room, Lord, who hasn't ever, ever received you sincerely as Lord and Savior and yielded their life to you. And they've dealt with things, hard things, tough things, sins that have caused division in family and all kinds of chaos in their life. God, if there's a person here that's just looking for the first time to be right with you, Lord, I pray, God, as they open their heart, receive them. Show them how you delight in mercy. God, meet them. Speak to their heart, Lord. Receive them because we trust your word that you will act justly. That is, pardon our sin. Throw it in the sea. Show us mercy. God, God Almighty, in the name of Jesus, we receive that gift that Jesus gave on the cross. Any and all praying that, that they're receiving the gift that Jesus gave on the cross. Lord, meet them. And Father, any in this room right now who may have felt that pull, that tug, that stray, they're ashamed. God, they, 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 they feel they don't know what to do because they have called themselves Christian. But merciful to them, God, show them your grace. Lord, if hearts are being opened to you even now, Lord, we just cry out to you and say, forgive. Lord, send your compassion. Your word said you'll be compassionate. You love mercy. Oh, let the mercy flow, God. Lord, may the forgiveness uh, be felt, Lord, as, as it's confessed to you, God. And change is desired to walk humbly with you, to follow your way sincerely, not by some obligation or duty. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray. I pray hearts are receiving that right now, God. Oh, we love you, Lord. We praise you. We exalt you. We give you glory and honor and praise, mighty God, everlasting Prince of Peace. You're awesome. And we thank you. And we thank you and we praise you. Thank you, Jesus. God, bless all who are here. Bless them, Lord. Carry them. May your grace be with them. Your mercy be evident, Father God. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen. Amen. And as you leave this morning, again, we'll keep these altars open. If you want prayer, you don't have to rush out of here. Come on down and receive what God has for you. God bless you. Have a great, great week.